Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and how the tech are you? It's time for a Tech Stuff Tidbits episode. And if you follow news and announcements about video games, you've had a really busy week this week. The Summer Game Fest kicked off a ton of streams that contained trailers for dozens of upcoming titles, ranging from quirky independent games to new entries in established franchises. And that kind of inspired me. I started thinking about some of the computer games I really loved when I was a little kid. Now, y'all, uh, I was born in the 1970s, and that means I grew up around the same time as the personal computer. Right. Because that became a thing in the 70s. And some of the games I played on our old Apple IIe didn't have any sound or any graphics. All the imagery in the game existed only in text descriptions and my imagination. So I am 
today talking about text-based computer games. Now, if you've ever enjoyed a choose-your-own-adventure style book, and I don't even know if those are still a thing now, I may still be dating myself, but if you've ever read one of those, you have a sense of what a text-based computer game is like. The player of the game reads a description of an environment, which may or may not include hints of dangerous things that surround the player. The player then types in a command. That command could be to walk in a specific direction, which will take you to a new location, assuming you can actually go that way. Or it might involve picking up something in the room or taking a closer look at something. Or it might involve trying to talk or battle someone or something in the area, or maybe to hide from something. The tricky thing is, the player will always come up with more options than the programmer considered or anticipated when they made the game. And that makes text-based adventures sort of a puzzle that's on a meta level. The puzzle ends up being, what did the programmer have in mind at this point in the game? Because you can get stuck in these games. You could start to use what you think is every single potential option, but it's just that you haven't fallen on the one that the programmer had in mind. Thinking outside the box won't necessarily help you. The game can't accommodate creative answers that programmers didn't think about. So with the old text-based adventures, the programmer would have to lay out what is possible through code. And the code was pretty primitive. And the player would type in a command and the game would have to determine if the command made sense or not. If the command did make sense, well, then the player would get a result. That result might not be a positive one. It might end up being a you can't do that because even though the command makes sense, something else has to happen first. For example, if a door is locked. If the command didn't make sense at all, if the programmer had not thought to include that in the limited vocabulary of the game, well, the game would then have to tell the player that what they tried didn't work. And there were a lot of different ways that various text-based games would inform players that what they were trying was a non-starter. You might get something like, I don't understand what you're trying to do. Or that won't work. Or I don't think that helped. Or I don't know what blank means. Blank being whatever command you typed in that the game just can't handle. Those were pretty typical responses. Not all of them were, you know, used in every single game, but almost pretty much every text-based game had some variation of that. Now, it might help if we think of a hypothetical example. So let's say you've created a text-based game in which the player starts in a room. And this room's just got, it's a regular square room. Uh, there's a locked door to the, to the north. There's a hallway to the west. There's a window to the south and the east wall is blank. And maybe you've created some flavored text for the room saying that the floor is stone and the walls are wood and they're, they are covered in peeling wallpaper and a dim chandelier hangs from the ceiling. You know, you give it some, some more text than just there's a door to the north and a hallway to the west and a, a window to the south. You want to create a, a mood and that mood will depend upon the style of game you're making, right? So if you're making a horror game, you want it to be super creepy and atmospheric. If it's an adventure game, maybe it's mysterious, that kind of thing. So you don't necessarily go bonkers with this description. You don't want to write a full novel, but you want it to be 
interesting enough so that the player gets a sense of where they are and the the style of game they're playing. So you try then to anticipate the sort of actions that your players are going to try when they start in this position. You want to anticipate enough of them so that, you know, for the vast majority of of commands that are typed in, because that's that's how you interact with a text-based game. You have a, a prompt where you type in your commands. You want those commands to get some sort of response and not just go straight to the default, I don't know what you're doing, if you can help it, because you want to hook those players in and have them have a good experience. So you probably have thought about what the game should say if the player tries to open the locked door. So maybe it responds with the locked door won't budge, or maybe despite your valiant efforts, the door remains locked. Maybe you also anticipate that some players will try to look out that window on the south wall. So you write something like the view outside the window is of an unremarkable lawn, a bit overgrown or something to that effect. Players can then choose to go to the west, which is walking into the hallway. That'll take them into a new setting. Or maybe they want to search the room. Uh, maybe you you write it so that that action, searching the room, uncovers a key that fits the door to the north. Though I would argue that would be a bit too easy and that you probably should put the key somewhere else so that there's a little more gameplay there. But more likely, you just decide that the flavor text is really just flavor. So let's say that, you know, your character searches the room and the response is you find nothing useful or something to that effect. The point is the responses that the player sees all come from the programmer. I, I know that should be obvious, but it's something that we have to keep in mind. Like every time we play a game, unless it's a weird glitch, the response we get when we do something was put there on purpose. Right. Someone had to think about that and build it into the game. So with text based adventures, everything you encounter has to have been put there intentionally or else there's a problem with the code. Uh, it could be that there was an error somewhere that breaks something. So if the programmer anticipates a specific action, they can write up a response that's appropriate or funny or whatever. But for everything else, the game is just going to present a standard default response like I don't know how to do that or whatever it may be. Anyone who has ever run a role-playing game as a game master, you know what? That it is, it's physically impossible <laughs> to anticipate everything players will do. When you have a human who's acting as game master, humans have the potential to run with wild player ideas, even if they had not planned for such a thing in the past. I used to, as a teenager, write adventures for my group of friends to play in, in, a, in games of Dungeons and Dragons. I'm sure this comes as a shock to none of you. Um, I didn't write professionally. These were just for my friends to play. And I would come up with these ideas and I would spend hours and hours and hours. I would remember I'd get up early on a Saturday morning and just spend hours crafting adventures and dungeons. And I would have this whole kind of sequence playing out in my head of how this was going to go. But invariably, at some point, a player or a couple of players would come up with something that should certainly work. I just hadn't thought about it. And then I had to figure out what to do. And some of my favorite gaming sessions involved going completely off script because whatever the players had suggested was viable and we should do it, even though I had not anticipated it when I was crafting the adventure. 
Now, some game masters are far less comfortable winging it. Nothing wrong with that. It, it's, it's an intimidating thing to try and keep track of everything if you're making stuff up on the fly. And so these game masters will sometimes hit a couple of, of uh, tough choices, and neither of them are great. One of them would be to attempt to force the players toward a specific path, which makes them feel that they have no agency and that's not much fun. Or it involves outright denying them their ideas, and that often can also create a less satisfying playing experience. Well, unfortunately, text-based games fall more into that restrictive style of play for the most part. They might be very well designed, but they are still quite constrained. So game designers have to come up with lots of clever puzzles and interesting text to keep players engaged and eager to see the adventure through to the end. And again, sometimes the puzzle is trying to make yourself think like the programmer was thinking when they made the game in the first place. It's not so much, how can I get this door open? It's how would so-and-so have designed this so that I have to figure out a way to open this door? And it still becomes like a puzzle game, but it also becomes something like a, a psychological assessment of the person that wrote the game. It's a pretty interesting style of play. But all of this had to get started somewhere, right? So what was the first text-based adventure? Well, we're going to find out. But first, let's take a quick break. Working remotely? Where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com. 
where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. All right, so who created the first text-based adventure and what was it? Well, the game was called Colossal Cave Adventure, and it was created by Will Crowther in the mid-1970s. And this wasn't just some hobbyist dipping his toe in programming. In the early 1970s, Crowther worked for Bolt, Berenick, and Newman, also known as BBN. Now, you might not be familiar with that company name, but BBN played a crucial role in the development of technologies that underpin the internet. And indeed, Crowther himself was part of a small team working on ARPANET, which was sort of a predecessor to the internet. It's where a lot of the protocols and uh, actual technologies that allow the internet to work were first developed. So here you have this pioneer of networked computing plugging away at a major Department of Defense project, trying to design the tech that would allow computers to send data across vast networks. And in his spare time, he would game and he would go spelunking. That is, he would go cave exploring. As for games, he was a tabletop D&D player, Dungeons and Dragons. So that game first published in 1974 and Crowther became a fan pretty early on. Now, Crowther was married with kids, but his marriage was falling apart and he and his wife initiated a divorce. So in an effort to create something that would let him connect with his kids and make something fun for them and allow him to, you know, find ways to spend time with them, Crowther brought together his knowledge of programming, his love of exploration and caving, and some elements of Dungeons and Dragons to put together the colossal cave adventure game. So he chose a text-based approach to make the game less intimidating to people who weren't familiar with computers. Remember, this is before the personal computer age. Computers were pretty scarce for, you know, most people never even encountered one. If they did, it was because they either worked in a research facility or they worked at a big company that happened to have like a mainframe computer as part of its assets. But most people never even touched one. So how do you make a computer game approachable? That's why Crowther said, let's make it a text-based game. Players could type in commands in natural language, and the program would check for words that matched viable options. 
and then send a result to the player and update the story in the process. So Crowther's method was to allow for two word commands. So you could type something like go north or look puddle. It was primitive, but it was easy to understand. You quickly got the rules. You knew you couldn't say look under the rock. You couldn't do that. You could say look rock and maybe get more information, but you had to keep it to those two word commands. And reportedly, his kids really found the game interesting and fun to play. Crowther would actually release his game over ARPANET, which I think makes it the first shareware text-based adventure game. It wasn't long before computer scientists at places like Stanford got in touch with Crowther and asked permission to further develop and enhance the game. And Crowther agreed. He thought that was great fun. And so over time, versions of the game popped up that could be played on different types of computers. Because remember, at this time, people are using all sorts of different proprietary computers, each working under its own computer language and computer like operating system. So it would require you know, recreating the game in many ways in order for it to run on other machines. And that's exactly what various folks were doing. Uh, originally, these were big old honking computers housed in research labs and university computer centers. But as the personal computer age dawned, we started to see versions for those machines as well. And often the game's title would simply be shortened down to Adventure. A few years ago, a guy named Eric S. Raymond uploaded the code for Colossal Cave Adventure with permission to GitLab. And now developers from all over the world can access the code and enhance it and look for ways to clean it up. And this is very similar to what the early programmers were doing in the 1970s. It's still happening today. In many ways, it's carrying on the trend that Crowther inspired. Now, there have been tons of text-based adventures over the years. Uh, I remember playing the Zork series extensively, which ultimately expanded beyond text-based adventures, but that's how they started. Then there was the amazing text game of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that includes some logic-defying puzzles. Uh, creating an improbability drive is a heck of a thing in that game. But I did play it, and uh, I ultimately beat that game, but not without... I think I'm, I think I ended up having to consult uh, tip lines or, or hints or something multiple times. I just could not suss my way through that game uh, throughout the entire arc of the story. Uh, it is great, though. Some games had very cheeky titles. I will never forget the title, The Leather Goddess of Phobos. I never played it. I understand it was not quite as salacious as the title would have you believe, but I wouldn't know because I never I never got the guts to play that one. I remember playing The Hobbit and The Fellowship of the Ring, both in text form. They had like very primitive graphics associated with it, but they were like still images, um, kind of like a picture book. There are dozens of great titles from the 70s and 80s out there. A lot of them are available for you to play via the Internet. You can find links to to uh, web based versions of these text adventures if you want to play them. And there are also new text based adventures coming out even in recent years. So one I've heard of I have not yet played is called Night House. It came out in 2016 uh, and others have come out since then as well as visual novels. I think visual novels, which is now a popular genre of, of computer game, I think they owe a lot of their DNA to the old text-based adventures. So hats off to Will Crowther, creator of the text-based adventure game. And um, say, uh, you, you better turn on a light 
It's getting dark. You are likely to be eaten by a Gru. Hope you're all well. I will talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.